Hello and welcome back after a, a quick week off, which is uh, always uh, always fine and a good time. Welcome back to Pioneer Pigskin. The attempt I've made this year to talk more about college football in the state of Utah on this podcast. And today we have a, a great panel with us, back with us again, friend of the show, Austin Facer and, and good co-host of this. What, what's going on, Austin? How you doing? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, I think you were a little skittish to remark on it last week, but uh, I did crash on a scooter and hit my head really hard. So um, that's why I missed last week's show. But it's good to be with you this week. Uh, the head is stapled up and seems to be healing just fine. Well, we are glad that things ended up going OK. That's a very scary situation. Uh, I'm glad that we're, you're OK it obviously could have been much 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 worse so you had the I, uh, distinction I, of being one of the first people i texted from the ambulance i texted you right. said hey i can't do the show tomorrow i'm going to the hospital so um, yes and anyway, credit, that was kind of funny. credit to me i was a sensitive person and didn't say well can you do it you know later in the day i was like oh yes. no Go go ahead, Austin, and uh, give me the and, day and, off, and that was appreciated. And, and get better, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but we're we're glad you're doing better, Austin. It's 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 Thank good you. to have you back. You you are always a very welcome presence on this podcast. And joining us, uh, former editor of mine and good friend and football writer for the Utah Daily Chronicle, it is Ethan Pierce. How you doing, Ethan? I'm doing good. I don't really have a, a scooter crashing story to share with the crowd, share with the class, but uh, you're lucky. Yeah, <laughs> I, I rode my scooter down to the game last night, actually, at, down to the Utah game from the top of campus because they make me park so dang far from the stadium. But, huh. mm, you know, that's, I, yeah. I, I was more careful, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm glad that everybody's getting around on their scooters. OK, which <laughs> is a a, a, a good a good omen as we as the college lifestyle as we get started here when you hit 30 you have to give it up just say now that's (laughs) the lesson i've learned all right time time to time to move on to bigger and better things uh for uh austin's former scootering lifestyle let's get to these games let's start with utah a 35-7 win over san diego state but a game in which the Utes started slow and may have started slow in pretty much every game they've played this year, this time around scoring no points in the first quarter after being tied 7-7 to Southern Utah last week going into the second quarter. But the Utes ultimately prevail. I will ask you this, Ethan. What was kind of the feeling in that stadium going into the second quarter? Could you feel that people were kind of nervous, or would you say Utah fans were confident they were going to kind of get the win and and take care of business the entire time? I think uh, most of the frustration was a little bit on Cam Rising and just a little bit on the offensive play calling. Um, Because I think pretty much everybody there felt that Utah was going to win the game. you know, it felt like they were really ready to go after last year's loss to this same team. And uh, it felt like at home they were going to perform a lot better, especially heading into Pac-12 next week. And so I don't think there was a ton of concern in terms of the game being on the line. 
but it was definitely a little concerning to see them start slow again, especially like you mentioned after last week, you know, it was seven to seven versus Southern Utah, but you know, as we saw in that game, things kind of started to get going for the Utes and they, and they ran away with that one. It wasn't even close by the end and not even by the end of the second quarter, they had scored like four touchdowns in the second quarter last week. A similar thing happened last night where Utah was able to kind of get it going, get it going really nice there in the second quarter. The offense started clicking. They, they got a couple turnovers and, and rising kind of settled in and the running game kind of settled in and, uh, and they pulled away from this one here. So it is a little bit concerning seeing them starting this slow again, but uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, the sky is falling for this team. No, I, de- I definitely would say the, the sky is falling, but it no is fees are minimums and no overdraft fees are another reason banking really. Sorry. Really, that's my bad. Okay. Um, I, I wanted yeah, to make ahead. sure I, I, I sometimes start on my ESPN thing. Yes. My video also ESPN's started the worst. my, my video also started on my ESPN thing and it happened at like the exact same time. I think Austin and I was like, <laughs> Oh, I don't have yeah, that, that muted. So yeah, my it, bad. You know, it, it's okay. It, it happens to the best of us. But as I was saying, uh, you know, I, I, I think that my main concern is that they just have a hard time getting a rhythm going. It feels like, and they're not playing their best football right now. And I know it's September, but you're about to go in about two weeks, go play Oregon state, a team that looks very, very good and very, very competitive in the pac 12. And I, I just have some concerns going into Pac-12 play that, that there have been very, very slow starts. Yeah, they're going to be tested. Like you said, Oregon State's a really good team. They've got USC coming up a couple weeks after that. Um, things are not easy in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 all of a sudden looks a lot tougher than a lot of us anticipated. Uh, with Washington looking super solid, USC is, is as good as people expected them to be. Um, Oregon coming off that win against BYU, which we'll get to. There's a lot of good teams in the Pac-12 this year, and um, Utah might not be, you know, far and away the best team in the conference like a lot of people thought they were going to be. So they're going to have to get things figured out and quickly. That was a point of emphasis for Kyle Whittingham after the game. Um, The reporters didn't have to bring it up. He brought it up about the slow start and about how, you know, that is something that they're not going to be able to afford against more quality opponents. They can get away with this against San Diego State and against Southern Utah. But when you, you know, if you start that way, against a team like Oregon State or USC, uh, you might dig yourself a bigger hole than you're going to be able to climb out of. Can, can, can we put on our doctor hats here for a second? Um, Go ahead. And diagnose the, the issue. Um, to me, I, I, th- I think it's pretty clear. I, I think the the lack of creativity with the play calling and yeah. some of the decisions Cam Rising is making are probably the biggest factors in that. And... I think the, the biggest symptom I'm seeing is that uh, a guy like Devon Vele is being underutilized tremendously. Um, I think he only had four targets, uh, brought in three catches, but had uh, 38 yards for two touchdowns. But to me, yeah. the guy's six five. He, he runs really well. He can jump out of the freaking stadium. And I don't, I don't, I think he's a, a threat and a tool that is being incredibly ignored at times. And I think that's a big problem for Utah. 
I think for sure. I mean, Utah is known for targeting their tight ends and for good reason, right? Brent Keithy and Dalton Kincaid are two guys who are probably going to be playing on Sundays within a couple of years. Um, they've got a really, really good tight end room. And so it's sometimes hard for them to get the receivers as involved as they probably should. And, and you spoke to it, you know, last night, Vele got involved more than he usually does. And that involves two touchdowns, only three catches, but two of them for scores. And they, they could have used him a little bit more to kind of open up the sideline a little bit. And he talked about that post game as well, about how they want to get the receivers involved. That is a point of emphasis for this team. Sometimes it doesn't always work and they're always going to keep the two tight ends on the field. They're too valuable for them. But getting Enos and Vele in there and getting them touches, I think is going to be key for this team moving forward because there's just not a lot of good football teams that, that throw to their wide receivers as often as Utah does. Yeah. I, I, I kind of have a semi-hot take here that, yes, I think Devon Vele is a good wide receiver. Like, you can't play at the P5 level and get major starting snaps if you aren't a good wide receiver. But I, I'm kind of done. It feels like, to use a a modern-day term, it feels like I'm kind of being gaslit by this uh, Utah coaching staff into believing he's some kind of elite target that's it's just an absolute game changer. And I mean, part of the reason that they haven't used the wide receivers so much, if you talk to people that are watching the tape on these games, and even Kyle Whittingham last week in his press conference, is the wide receivers at points just aren't, aren't getting open. And like in that first quarter, the wide receivers weren't getting open. And really until the second half when San Diego State was kind of defeated, the wide receivers weren't getting open. So I I, I don't know. That's just something to keep an eye on for me. Like I, I appreciate Kyle Winningham and, and the coaching staff having faith in their guys and saying, you know, we want them to be successful and this is how we believe we can get there. But at the same time, like, I, I just, I really, I, I'm kind of tired of hearing that. Like, at some point, if you really do believe in your wide receivers that much, then they should be getting more open and they should be getting targeted more. And they, they just, that's that's something that the coaching staff has some control over and it doesn't seem like they do anything to fix it ever. Yeah. Do you think that do you think that speaks to to Rising's decision making? Do you think uh, do you think he's going through his checkdowns properly, or or is what you're saying speaking to a bigger issue? They they just have a lack of speed. I don't know about a lack of speed, but definitely like I, I I just every year it seems like we go into the season and we say, oh, the Utes. They have some sneaky good wide receiving talent, but it, it never really pans out. And something I did, I, I wrote something for KSL earlier in the offseason that I did some research for, you know, between Solomon Enos, Jalen Dixon, and Devon Vele, like the only guy that's ever come close to a thousand yard season is Jalen Dixon. And I believe that was in 2020. And, and the rest of them have barely broken about 
barely broken like 500 yards over the past three years. And I get one of those years is a shortened year with a COVID year, but like th- that says something about the quality of the wide receivers. I I get that people, you know, want to give these guys the benefit of the doubt, they're, they're collegiate athletes, but at some point you have to look at production and say, it's just not working out. And these guys are are good. Like I said, good college wide receivers, but ultimately not weapons that are going to take your offense to the next level. I think you can kind of look at it as sort of a a chicken and the egg situation in in kind of a way where it's like, are the receivers, you know, not getting open because they're not being thrown to, or are they not being thrown to because they're not getting open? Right. It's kind of like, well, if the offense isn't going to utilize them, then are they going to be able to even show off what they can do? Or are they just not getting targeted because, you know, they know that they, the coaching staff knows that they don't have that kind of potential. And if you're throwing to the receivers, if you're throwing to the receivers more, you're taking away targets from the tight ends too. And, and we all know that they love to use their tight ends. So it's kind of a, it's just kind of an awkward situation all around. Yeah, and it's the, a delicate balance. And Eric, I think what we need you to do is we need you to watch film again, and I, we need you to analyze every single route run by every <laughs> single receiver on every single snap of the last three games. That way, you can support your hypothesis that these guys are not getting open, um, because uh, because it's That's hard true. to watch right in real time. Yeah, uh, what's happening? Um, and I, I I do think we need to talk a little bit about like maybe maybe rising isn't. The dude. I mean, he's great, but maybe he's not the the dude we we thought he was. Um, you know, uh, we mentioned that uh, Ethan mentioned that he started the game really slow. He went just four for eleven on his passing attempts. Picked it up big time in the second quarter. He went ten for twelve. But um, I tell you, I mean, you get you start you play from behind in Pac-12 play, and you know you're gonna have a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was kind of thinking back on that, like. Cam Rising wasn't playing like he was playing in the Rose Bowl last when he got in at that San Diego State game either. Like, it wasn't immediately he was just tearing up every defense he played. I I do think that there is a little bit of – it is on Rising that he's always looking for Keithy and Kincaid first, especially Keithy. He just loves throwing to Keithy. That's his first read every time, it seems like. And um, I'm, I'm not ready to say that he's not the guy uh, that we thought he was yet, but he's definitely made some sort of like statistical regression over three games. And I, I think that's fair to say, but I think we've got to give him more time. And then ultimately, you know, I, I can go after these wide receivers as much as I, I possibly want, but ultimately you still do have the two best tight ends in the country. And if no one is going to adjust and cover those tight ends, then why not just still throw to them a ton and use them as your primary weapons? So, you know, I think it's it's so funny to me that we're like, we're having a discussion as if like Utah's in some sort of crisis when the reality is they've beaten their last two teams by a combined score of 108 to 14. Right. And they very easily could have won the Florida game. So um, 
to, to even like talk with the tone, like, you know, things are off the rails at all um, is a little silly. It is crazy how quickly we're advancing in the season. And I think we, we did expect them to look a little bit differently uh, at this point, but, and the fact is, I, I think they still have a, a lot of room to grow. And if they get there, it's, it's going to be big trouble for the rest of the Pac-12. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, I mean, a lot of the struggles that we've talked about are offensively. And the defense, I mean, despite the quality of opponent being much lower the last two weeks, the defense has been absolutely lights out. I mean, San Diego State scored one touchdown last night at the very end of the game off a muffed punt. Um, but they they pretty much shut this team out. And same with, with Southern Utah. So the defense is, is as lights out as ever. And I think they're going to have a really good season. Yeah, San Diego State had a total of 173 yards on the day total. Yeah. Like, that. Yeah. that's just... And, like, 100 of those came in the fourth quarter when the game was already over. Like, that's just absolutely nuts that, that, that the defense was able to make that kind of performance and make those kinds of, of defensive stops. If I had to be critical of one thing about the defense, I think the pass rush could be a little bit better. They only got two sacks on the night. Now I, I know that's asking for for a lot and only two sacks. Sure, this that and the it, other thing. New York State got two as well. So, but they, they need to be yeah. better. But they had, you know, seven tackles for loss, which isn't bad. But you could have a few more of those. The pass rush and the defensive ends are 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 not playing quite up to I think the standard that we know they can play to. But again, it's it's really hard to nitpick. And I, I do think that our tone on this speaks to the general level that to the general theme that Utah is just at a different level as a program now. Whereas three years ago, we would have if a performance like this happens, we would be talking about this is one of the most underrated teams in the country. And look out of look yeah, out for the youth as, as a team. <laughs> to to make a, a run for the Pac-12 title like the expectation now that they've won a Pac-12 title now that they've been to a Rose Bowl once over just one year is kind of crazy how much the expectation has ratcheted up for this team like basically anything except a Rose Bowl appearance at this point is going to be considered a disappointing season by not only Utah fans but basically everyone in this state that covers this team yeah we're obnoxious and you guys are young but I remember being a little kid like probably I don't know 13 or 14 and my dad took me down to Vegas to see the Utah UNLV game where UNLV who I think maybe was one like two and seven at that point in the year uh blanked Utah 21 to zero or something and uh that was embarrassing and you know, now we're talking uh, in a, a stretch of games when Utah's outscore their opponents by a hundred points, as if you know there's some sort of crisis. We're just we're we can't be pleased. We're just we're horrible. <laughs> yeah, like like you said, Eric, a disappointing season for this team would be anything that doesn't end in a Rose Bowl or a college football playoff. That's the goal. That's where they want to be. They know that they can get there, and I think the fans do too. Yeah. Moving on to a loss that was actually disappointing. Like if, if there's a fan base that can actually say the season is quote unquote over and Oh no, what what's happening? BYU drops a game 41, 20 in Austin. Uh, 
to Oregon. Just a really tough game. Just a, a really tough game for the Cougars who came off a really impressive win against a Baylor team that I think is is quite good. But they there's no other way to really describe what happened in this game other than to just say BYU played like the worst game they've probably played since the Boise State game last year. Uh, missed tackles all over the place. No pressure from the defensive front. Uh, finished the day with no sacks, no pressure up front. I know they're missing, uh, I believe it was Tyler Batty. Um, yeah, Tyler Batty and Earl. Uh, this is the one I'm going to mispronounce. Earl Tolodi Mariner. Uh, yeah. We're both yeah. I, and those are two of your top pass rushers. I get that. But still, to get absolutely no push and have be exposed as having absolutely no depth up front before you go into the Big 12 is disappointing in every sense of the word. And, and it's just a really disappointing loss because, frankly, if BYU gets this win, they're in a better position nationally than Utah and probably in the conversation as a sleeper team for the college football playoff because then they have – Wyoming next week, then Utah State, and then Notre Dame, who is playing an extremely down year. And if Puka and Gunner were healthy for that game and are still healthy for that game, that's a game I think BYU can win. Same with Arkansas. But you drop this game in Eugene, and things just suddenly look like, oh, here we go again, the curse of independence. Like, we're going back to Shreveport. Like, for – it's just this is why you hate independence if you're someone that tracks the Cougars, if you're someone that hopes that BYU has good seasons occasionally like I do, just because I, I, I like to think that, you know, when the state's good, that means we're all benefiting from, from that. But it, it just sucks. It, it, it just sucks that they drop this game because now it does feel like a New Year's Six Bowl is kind of out of the question entirely because, you know, there's probably one more weird Cougar loss somewhere on that schedule, like to Wyoming next week. Or Imagine if it's Utah State. That would be. That would, that, yeah. that would be the would almost be almost the end of the world uh for BYU. that'd be pretty gratifying though as someone as you know we're all utah alums we can we can admit it you know that would be kind of funny right it would yeah, be kind of funny. that would be kind of funny um literally the only bright spot of the day is jaron hall who somehow in a blowout loss still looked like the best <clears throat> part of byu's team threw for over 300 yards had two touchdowns with basically none of his top wide receiving weapons made Cody Epps and Chase Roberts look like a star targeted one, two, three, four, five guys more than three times, really spread the ball around, played great point guard kind of quarterback. But yeah, it, it's just disappointing. I, I, I mean, we could talk about the on-field play here for BYU, but I, I think at this point that's been harped on enough. Um, they didn't have their full complement of players. Kalani said in the post game that 
he basically just didn't have his team ready to play, and it, it just ends up being a disappointing day for the Cougars. I think, I mean, they just didn't really have much yesterday. Um, no resistance from the defense at all. Oregon hung 41 on them. Um, the score was closer than the game was. BYU had a couple scores in garbage time. There's not much to say about it. I think, I think big picture for the Cougars – I mean, the next four weeks for them, Wyoming, Utah State, Notre Dame, and Arkansas, all four of those games are at home. If you can get out of that stretch of four games with, you know, maybe undefeated or only one loss out of those four, they can probably run the table the rest of the way. Uh, the schedule's pretty soft after that. So I don't think, you know, a New Year's Six is necessarily completely out of the question for BYU if they can get out of the season with just this loss. One more loss probably takes them out of it, but they can still have a pretty solid year, remain in the top 25 and, um, you know, build on that going into the big 12. Yeah. I, I, I think to, I think I, Ethan, you're definitely right. But to, to Eric's original point, I think no team in the state and maybe even in the country found out more about themselves um, last night than BYU. And, you know, just as Eric was alluding to, this was definitely their contender pretender game. And, uh, I think we we definitely found out they they weren't contenders. They're they're not ready to be on the uh, national stage in terms of a college football playoff threat. Uh, they were pretenders, and I I think uh, like Eric also said, a lot of their depth got exposed. Um, that's definitely a concern they'll want to shore up before they move into the 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 big boy ranks, the the Big Twelve. Um, but yeah, I mean the 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 defense absolutely was was not even there. They made Bo Nix. Um, look like a guy who should win the Heisman Trophy, and I don't think he should. So, yeah, I I, I think calling them a pretender is strong. Um, I'm I stand by it, but I I I know, but I just feel like if they're healthy, they probably have a shot to win this game. But that just speaks to the depth issue. And to me, that's the biggest problem BYU has as a program right now is that they have recruited their starting positions extremely well. But when those guys go down with injuries, basically everywhere except the wide receiving core is thin. And the backfield doesn't look as great as it did. Christopher Brooks had one great game against USF and then has kind of disappeared since. 10 carries for 28 yards. He does not need to see the ball more than Lupini Katoa and uh, Jackson Machesny at, the, uh, at this point. Uh, he, he has not played well over the past two weeks. And then the pass rush, which coming into the year was the biggest issue. They had one good game against Baylor, and they couldn't back it up once they lost two of their starters. Whereas a team like Utah runs like seven, eight deep at that position. Like you have to, before you get to the Big 12, where there are teams that are loaded in the trenches like oh like well I, I guess Oklahoma might be in the SEC at that point but like Oklahoma State like Baylor you have to be able to prevent this where if a guy picks up a knock last second you are not just totally outclassed by an offensive line or or a defensive line for that matter 
And that's just what happened in this game ultimately is Oregon dominated the trenches. They dominated up front. They they only I, I know it's only one sack on the day for them, but they shut down BYU's running game. The offensive line got no push. There were no holes to run through. And then defensively, they just protected Bo Nix the best they've protected Bo Nix this year. And I think this is also a game where we learn a lot about Oregon and we say, wow, Georgia is just miles ahead of every team in this nation, even Alabama. I, I think Alabama is having a down year. And while Alabama's a, a better team than the teams we're talking about in this state, obviously, I think Georgia is on a different level than every single team in this country, about two tiers better than everyone else right now. And I, I think that got shown because I think Oregon's a really, really good team. And that's a game I'm really looking forward to now as someone who tracks Utah is I, I do think that Utah-Oregon game is going to be a huge test and a very dangerous game for the Utes at the end of the year. Absolutely. Especially because they'll be in Austin. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring that up too. The fact that, that Oregon, you know, looked a lot better against BYU and, and we saw what Georgia did to them. Um, and, and I just think the PAC 12 is looking stronger by the week. We thought that maybe the ducks were dead in the water, but after this win, they looked a lot better yesterday. And, I have and they, a counterpoint to that. Season. Yeah. The Arizona state sun devils. Oh my yes. gosh. Don't talk about them. That, that was ridiculous. So bad. I, mean, the, I mean, I knew Arizona State was going to be bad months ago when um, what was, what was the quarterback's name? Jalen Daniels. Was that his name? Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels. The guy who almost committed to Utah. Yeah, Jaden Daniels. Did, did you see that video that went kind of viral with how he, you know, he announced his transfer and then his teammates started picking through his locker, like <laughs> taking his taking stuff out of like the locker still had his name on it because he had announced literally like an hour before that he was transferring, but his teammates were like going through his personal possessions and just like essentially stealing from him. I was yeah. like, that's, that's a hallmark of a very bad, bad culture there. And uh, I like, I, when I like to see crappy kids have crappy results. So uh, they're get they're, they're reaping what they sow there. And uh, I don't think Herb Edwards is long for that job. And luckily for Utah, that's who they're playing next week to open the Pac-12 play. So, yeah. They'll they'll have another week of of junior varsity before they they face the big boys and the Beavers. Yes, I mean, just before we go, I I do want to touch on you know the Pac-12 is obviously a big part of the Utah kind of college football scene. Just some of the scores: Cal keeps it tight with Notre Dame. I know Notre Dame is terrible, but the the fact Cal only loses by That's one touch. Down to Notre Dame is incredibly impressive for Cal. Oregon dominates BYU. Washington, don't get this scoreline twisted. They blew out Michigan State. Michigan State stored a ton in garbage time, but Washington just dominated Michigan State from start to finish, basically. Utah takes care of business. USC looks like awesome, basically the best team in the conference. That's Probably that Utah-USC game will be the conference championship preview because I do think Oregon's going to end up in that game because they've just got a slightly 
easier schedule. Although you can't really say that anymore because I think the Pac-12 North is like miles above the Pac-12 South. We don't have conferences anymore, so that doesn't that, even matter. Yeah, and that it that is true. Uh, UCLA, they're the one kind of down spot along with Colorado, almost lose to South Alabama, but end up winning. Colorado's probably the worst team in P5, so just ignore them. Washington State dominates Colorado State, which is good. Colorado State's a bad team this year. Oregon State takes care of an, an FCS school. Arizona takes care of a really good FCS school. That's mm-hmm. an upset, actually. Arizona yes. was not favored to win that game. I think Jeb Fish is the real deal, and then you can just kind of ignore Arizona State. So if you take out Colorado and Arizona State, the Pac-12, I think, has just a ton of really good teams in it, and that's, you know, not even to mention Utah. Like, it, it's just a really good conference this year. Absolutely. I think they have, I mean, you look at Utah, USC, Washington, Oregon, Washington State, Oregon State. I think all those teams are contenders to win the conference. Um it, it, it's going to be a lot tougher for the Utes than maybe we originally anticipated. There's a lot of good teams in this conference and um, Utah USC could end up being a college game day site. Just throwing that out hey, there. I told, yeah, that's a real possibility. I, I do think as good as it is to have multiple great teams in the conference though, it's really essential that one of them just stands out, runs the table. Cause I mean, it, it's a problem. The, the conference has yep. almost every year is they, they cannibalize themselves where yeah. the, you know, they, the, the team that's ahead loses a game to an, another good team, a team that has maybe three or four losses, though, and all of a sudden that loss impacts their ability to get to the playoffs. So I, I, I agree with you guys, but I think somebody needs to, to stand out. Um, I have a hunch it could be USC, um, but I'm hopeful it's Utah. So One thing, do you guys just want to get angry before we leave? Please, USC, always. USC, Oregon State, that's the – premier matchup of the Pac-12 next week, I'd argue. Oregon yeah. State, a team that's really got to challenge itself. It's on the Pac-12 network. So half, Hilarious. The, nation's, half the nation's not what even What time are they kicking off, too? They're kicking off at uh, 7.30. Right. Prime time. 10 o'clock Lit- Eastern time. Literally, yeah. literally prime time. Like prime time in the West Coast, and half the West Coast won't be able to see it. So, it like, it's just... That's that's why they suck. That's just that's why they are they are. Yeah, and, and they have they have Utah and way. they have Utah and Arizona State on ESPN an hour after that. So we like, can see the Sun Devils just, lose by a million points. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the, Utah, the but there's what's no, his name? Polinkov? Is that his name? Plyavkov. Plyavkov. Something like that. Plyavkov. That's the that award actually, not Plyavkov. Award. Yeah. Yeah, so the, he needs to get on the phone and like beg like the Discovery Channel or someone to put him on earlier in the day. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind the game time, honestly. Yeah, that's, hey, that, that's a good that, idea. That that's that's part of the deal of living on the West Coast is West Coast games start later in the day. But the fact that that's on the Pac-12 network is just ridiculous. Like, sure. uh, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining me. This has been a ton of fun. Enjoy your NFL Sundays. I know I will enjoy mine. And we'll we'll be back next week to talk about some more football in the state of Utah. Oh, before we go, 
Ethan. Yeah. And you have things to plug. You are a college student who's writing for something. So go go ahead and plug that really quick. And sure, I'll give a couple going. plugs. Yeah. Um, Daily Utah Chronicle. I am the sports editor there. Write previews and recaps every Utah football game. We'll be covering basketball when that starts up in a couple of months. So that's going to be fun. Got a lot of stuff going on. Check out my other writers as well. We cover all of the Utah athletic teams, even the ones that don't necessarily get the primetime spotlight all the time. So volleyball, soccer, lots of different coverage there. And I'm really proud of the work that we do. And then check me out personally on, on YouTube and TikTok at Splash City. I cover basketball, NBA stuff. Big basketball guy over here. So That's a good handle to grab, Splash City. Nice. That's good right. for you. It's a good awesome. one. Thanks, guys. Wait, I, wait I, Eric, are you gonna, you're not going to let me plug for, for heaven's sake? I mean, sake? if you want to, go for it. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> this is the place sports, um, the podcast and blog that my dad, Dirk Face, oh, yeah, right I, I forgot do. about that. <laughs> yeah, of course he did. Um, <laughs> yeah, also, we're, we're a pair of uh, Karani alums as well. Um, we cover cover it all, so check us out if you want. I mean, and as Eric said, we're easy to forget about, so... Oh, that was not what I meant. All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can check uh, check out the End Zone Pod, the NFL show on this same podcast feed. So thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We will see you next time. Peace out.